Amen, OPBC Online, a ministry of Old Pass Baptist Church in Northfield, Minnesota, and we are coming to you live, and it is 2.09 p.m. 2.09 p.m. Central Time here on Friday, and uh, good to have you here on Friday. Hope you're doing well. Hope everything's going well for you. Uh, Marlene says she's been listening for 10 years. And uh, wow, that's a long time. All right. Uh, so praise the Lord for that. And and looking and seeing how everybody's doing uh, online here. Gregory Pace was on there, is on here. Sue Seven is on here. Uh, Zell 89. Let's see. Jody Hammond. M. Salsa. See Becca, Gregory. Hey, I'm on here. Pilgrim Lady. Andrea is on here. Maria Perez. Right. Oh, so we got a lot of people on. Fifty. 53 people on here so far and uh and fabian and then my wife is on here that's right there she is pilgrim 187 is on here not to be confused with pilgrim 186 or pilgrim 188 don't want that to happen you don't want to get confused with your pilgrims uh right you just make sure that you have that all taken care of the any problems with it. not fun when you pilgrims right don't do that that's a bad thing all right hey good and uh don't forget about tomorrow tomorrow night don't forget about tomorrow night Around 6 p.m., we will be preaching live outside of another Halloween event. Last week, it was a zombie pub crawl, and it got a little crazy. Showed you the video. We got to get that video up on YouTube and up on Rumble. Separate video. I'll have to have Andrew upload that and put that on there when he gets a chance. Title it something. on there. But uh, anyway, uh, hope you're you're having a good day and uh, things are going well for you. You know, we are going to talk about today. It's really what we're going to do is we're going to start on. This is going to start a series. And that series is going to be. 10 reasons that we reject the charismatic movement, the charismatic NAR movement. And that'll be the series. Because I figured out there is no way I could finish that in two hours because I have a lot of reasons and a lot of time. But years ago, 
I covered a little bit of the history of tongues. And about every four years or so, it looks like, is when I kind of pick that particular thing back up again, but I decide to do the whole movement, and I'll have it on a series. Okay? So, you'll be able to direct your friends and family and people that are stuck in the charismatic movement. You'll be able to direct them in how to find. How to find uh, these particular topics out. And the first thing I thought about, and by the way, you can download this from uh, the Pentecostal Charismatic Movement book, a PDF file by uh, David Cloud. Now, of course, that doesn't have anything to do with my ad-libbing stuff. But uh, do you hand out tracks or have anything to do with the fruitful works of darkness, anyone? Uh, we hand out tracks at Halloween parades. So, I mean, you can hand out tracks wherever you see sinners at. Because if I can handle, hand out a track at a parade, you can hand one out in your front door. I mean, what's the difference? I'm not, I'm not participating in anything. I'm just giving somebody a gospel track. Just like I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, give them. Now, them kids might think, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, they, those kids might think that you're stingy because you don't give them any candy. But, I mean, I don't know. You have to do whatever, whatever you believe is right. But if I'm going to go out to a Halloween parade and I'm going to hand out tracks everywhere, I don't know. It, that's one of those things you got to be at peace with. You know what I mean? you got to go to the Lord with that. I don't really do anything because I don't get many trick-or-treaters anyway. Or anything like that. And I'm usually not home. I'm usually preaching somewhere, right? So, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't give candy to anybody. Except me. I eat candy. Nah, not really. I don't like candy. But I don't give people candy. No, because I don't participate in in their events. You know what I mean? So, we'll be tracting tomorrow. We're going to get out thousands of tracks tomorrow, but I'm not giving anybody any candy. We're just going to give them the gospel. You know what I mean? So, but anyway, that's, you know, I, I don't, I mean, evangelism is for out in the world. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things. I don't blame you for not wanting people at your house. Are weird. I I don't blame you. They don't. You know, I don't. We don't participate in anything. I mean, we don't hand any candy out or anything like that. We haven't done any. I don't think we've ever done that. Since I've been married, I don't think I've ever done that. But I'm not gonna tell you you're in sin if you give somebody a tract. You know what I mean? But, you know, I, I, I can't tell you that that's between you and the Lord. you know what I mean? That's a conscious decision between you and the Lord. But, I you know that you have to come to. Man, I haven't talked about Halloween this year at all. 
I probably won't. I, mean, I preach so much on that stuff over the years, but I don't know. Maybe I'll do something, you know, but you'll, uh, you'll get that between board and figure out what you, what is acceptable. I, I don't hand out candy. I just, it's like when people say Merry Christmas, I don't yell at them. I'm just like, thank you. I just say thanks or I, I don't, I'm not going to get into an argument with with some 80-year-old lady that says Merry Christmas to me when she's walking down the road. I'm just like, thanks. And I just I just kind of walk away. I, just, I don't have time to argue with her. I don't have time to preach to her. I'm certainly not going to get into a fight with her. Right? So, oh, I just, I just tell people Happy New Year. I don't get in with people. Um, I preach on it. I have a stand on it. We're strong on it. Our families are strong in our church. But at the end of the day, I don't go chasing people around like that. If it's up to me, I don't ball them out at the store. Might just say Happy New Year, you know. I try to be kind. Now, Halloween and stuff like that, you know, obviously, overtly satanic. Definitely talk. And my my children, people would ask, you know, over the years, my children, they'll say something. That's something to them. I say something. No, we don't celebrate that or something like that, you know? So, anyway, all right. Well, we're going to get into this. We're we're going to get into this. Um, and I'm going to get into the history of modern-day tongues from 100 A.D. to present time. I think it's important that you understand the history of it and that most born-again believers never practice anything like that. Most of them never practice speaking in tongues. Okay? They didn't. But what's happened is, is... It's been popularized in our end times apostasy. Okay. So let's go to our Bibles first. Let's start with the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 8. Okay. The Bible says in verse number eight, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Okay. 
They shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Now by the faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, so we're going to get into this history here of what, first we're going to start out with what former evangelical leaders, Christian leaders, even the reformers, okay, said about it. It is a fact in history, says David Cloud, that the sign gifts, such as tongue speaking, ceased with the apostolic era. It is important to understand that there is a difference between the general gifts of the Spirit and the sign gifts between miracles in general and sign miracles. The gifts of the Spirit in general in Romans 12, 3 through 8 are operative throughout the church age. So let's look at that. Romans 12. Three through eight. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. These are the gifts that are throughout until Christ comes back. They are the gifts that are given through the Holy Ghost. Permanent gifts. Ones that were necessary for the local New Testament church to operate. These gifts are different than the sign gifts. The sign gifts are what Paul talked about that proved his apostleship. I'm sorry, that's 2 Corinthians 12, 12, wrong one. 
Look what Paul said. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. See, they were always questioning Paul's apostleship. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. They were always questioning his authority. So God gave the apostles power, sign gifts, to prove to others, to prove to the Jews that they truly were ordained of God to do the work that they were doing. That's what it was for. Okay? That's what the sign gifts were for. But the apostles died. And with them died those gifts. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now we do believe that God still works miracles, but not the same type of miracles that were associated with the apostles. If such miracles were done throughout the church age, how could they have been the particular signs of the apostles? It would be impossible to distinguish between the authority of the apostles and a closed revelation. Absolutely impossible. So, God made it so it wasn't confusing. He made it so it was easy to understand. Now, some quotes from church leaders of the past. These aren't our authority, the Bible is. But we're talking about history here. This portion is going to be very historical. And the purpose of that is to understand that this NAR movement, this charismatic movement, the, uh, the, the, the Pentecostal charismatic movement came out of end times apostasy. It was not taught by strong biblical Bible believers. Ones that were sound in theology. It was not taught by them. John Chrysostom. Chrysostom, sorry. <laughs> 347 to 407. Concerning the spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, he said this. This whole place is very obscure, but the obscurity is produced by our ignorance of the facts referred to and by their cessation, being such as then used to occur, but now no longer takes place. 
This was from his homilies on 1 Corinthians, the nice, the nice scene in the post-Nicene Fathers. August Stein, who I don't like, but quoting from him, who if there's ever going to be a heretic that, that held to something, it would be him. August Stein said this, it, it, the gifts of tongues, was a sign appropriate to that era. It was meant to announce the coming of the Holy Ghost on, on people of all tongues, to demonstrate that the gospel was to be announced to every language on earth. This happened to announce something then disappeared. John Calvin said this in his Institutes of Christian Religion. 1509 to 1564 is when John Calvin lived. Again, I, I'm not a Calvinist. But he was a major evangelical leader. And he said, the gift of healing, like the rest of the miracles, which the Lord willed to be brought forth for a time, has vanished away in order to make the preaching of the gospel marvelous forever. That's important. And by the way, we have to use these quotes... Because most Baptists were being chased in and out of caves. That was what Calvin said concerning tongues. Now another man who was a doctor of theology in that sense, one of the best theologians, was friends... John Owen was friends with, um, oh, uh, I went and seen his grave and I can't remember his name now. His name is John too. Good night. Maybe he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan, my goodness. What in the world is wrong with me? Uh, he was friends with John Bunyan. John Owen was. He respected him a lot. But John Owen, he said this. He said, gifts which in their nature exceed the whole power of all our faculties, that dispensation of the Spirit is long since ceased, and where it is now pretended unto by any, it may justly be suspected as an enthusiastic delusion. There he is. John Owen, funny head and all. A lot of them wore those wigs because they had a terrible problem with lice back then. Anyway, 
That was what John Owen said, who, by the way, again, I don't agree with everything that he preached and he taught and he wrote, but he was a a very good theologian. Doesn't mean he was right about everything, right? Old Thomas Watson there. Here's another guy, Thomas Watson. Very good. Thomas Watson wrote a lot of good books. I I think he wrote I'm try uh Well, lots of good ones. Tons of good ones. I have them. I just can't think of the names of them. I think I have Watson's works. I don't know. Anyway, uh Thomas Watson. He's a Puritan, but he said this. Sure, there is as much need of ordination now as in Christ's time and in the time of the apostles. There being then extraordinary gifts in the church, which are now ceased. So. Here you have. Noted men that were theologians of their time. Not a one of them spoke in tongues. Then you have one of the most famous commentaries ever. Matthew Henry, who's wrong on baptism, by the way. But a lot of his commentary is very good. I affectionately call these men the Wiggers. Now, Matthew Henry said this. Speaking of the gift of tongues, he said, these and other gifts of prophecy being a sign have long since ceased and been laid aside. And we have no encouragement to expect the revival of them, but on the contrary, are directed to call the scriptures the more sure word of prophecy, more sure than voices from heaven. And to them, we are directed to take heed, to search them and to hold them fast. All right. Now, here's another man that knew a lot about revival. Okay. If anyone. He is the he is the preacher that preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards preached, he was part of the Great Awakening in America. Jonathan Edwards said this, of the extraordinary gifts they were given in order to the founding and establishing of the church in the world, 
But since the canon of Scripture has been completed and the Christian church fully founded and established, these extraordinary gifts have ceased. From his book, Charity and Its Fruits. Okay. So there you you have Jonathan Edwards. Now, why is that important? Because if you understand history, if you understand history, what you will understand is Jonathan Edwards and the next man that I'm going to talk about, George Whitfield, were part of the Great Awakening in America that would precede The Sandy Creek Baptist revival that would start a thousand churches within a hundred years in the South. It would literally change the entire makeup of America. And that is Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. Mighty moving of the spirit. Men melting. Men falling off their horses in conviction. Men waking up in the middle of the night. Men riding chariots as fast as they could to get to hear George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards preach. Men that would be broken over their sin. Men that would be uh, weeping and wailing and crying out to God in repentance. Jubal Stearns got saved under the preaching of George Whitfield. Those men would preach and men would melt under the power of the Holy Ghost. So if anybody would would know about sign gifts and having the power to preach the word of God and to see a great and grand moving of the Holy Ghost, it would be these men. Here's what George Whitfield said. The charismata, the miraculous gifts conferred on the primitive church have long ceased these are men that feared god these are men that preached the word of god these are men that saw more people saved converted called to preach and churches started than any other men in the last 500 years. Their converts would be men like Shubal Stearns, John Weatherford, James Ireland, The 40 imprisoned Baptist pastors of of, uh, Virginia. 
the, the amount of men that would spring forth from those people. would be an innumerable host of men that would rise up and plant churches. All over the South, all over the the Northeast. So these men saw the power of God. Colonel Samuel Harris. All of those men. James Buchanan, he wrote the book, The Office and Work of the Holy Spirit. And he said the miraculous gifts of the Spirit have long since been withdrawn. They were used for a temporary purpose. Robert L. Dabney, which was another theologian, a very strong one. He said this, after the early church had been established, the same necessity for supernatural signs now no longer existed, and God, who is never wasteful in his expedience, withdrew them. Miracles, if they become ordinary, would cease to be miracles and would be referred by men to customary law. The Prelacy of Blunder, Discussions Evangelical and Theological, Volume 2. Here's another man that knew a little bit of something about a Holy Ghost moving and revival. Charles Spurgeon. One of the most known Baptist pastors. Right? In the last 200 or 300 years, 250 years. I visited his grave with Carl and Mary and, and, um, brother Andrew over in England. We visited the Metropolitan Tabernacle where he pastored. The man saw millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people saved, churches planted, revival sweep through London. And he said this, speaking of the office of the apostles, an office which necessarily dies out and properly so, because the miraculous power also is withdrawn the miraculous power is withdrawn and that's one of the one of the most fruitful baptist pastors in the last 200 years
right? Anyway, Benjamin Warfield, these gifts were distinctly the authentic authentication of the apostles. They were part of the credentials of the apostles as the authoritative agents of God in founding the church. Their function thus confirmed them distinctively to the apostolic church, and they necessarily passed away with it. Even many Pentecostals admit that the apostolic sign gifts ceased early in the church history. That being the case, we believe, says David Cloud, the following observation is true. Since these gifts and signs did cease, the burden of proof is entirely on the charismatics to prove their validity. Too long Christians have assumed that the non-charismatic must produce incontestable biblical evidence that the miraculous sign gifts did cease. However, non-charismatics have no burden to prove this since it has already been proved by history. It is an irrefutable fact admitted by many Pentecostals. Therefore, the charismatics must prove biblically that the sign gifts will start up again during the church age and that today's phenomena are this reoccurrence. They have to prove. Right? They have to prove it. The only sign gifts that can be found in church history after the days of the apostles are some strange phenomena associated with various heretical groups. So we're going to talk about some of those heretics that were in different groups. Okay, we're going to look at some of them. One of those groups is called Montanism. Montanism, the prominent example of tongue speaking in the century after the apostles is Montanism. The leader of this movement, Montanus, lived in Fergia in Asia Minor in the last half of the second century. He claimed that he was the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit for new revelations. Okay. He said he was the mouthpiece. Montanus and his, uh, the leader of this movement, Montanus, lived in Fergia in Asia Minor in the last half of the second century. He claimed that he was the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit for new revelations, and he and several associates called themselves prophets. Two of these, Priscilla and Maximilla, were women. Montanus and his fellow prophets are said to have spoken in an ecstatic and frenzied trance-like state 
when giving their alleged prophecies. Sounds like the Mormons. Right? The prophet claimed to fall into a trance of ecstatic transport in which his own self-consciousness ceased and his own mind was altogether passive while God took entire possession of him and spoke through him. Lars Qualbin, History of the Christian Church, page 87. What is that? It's heresy. Heresy. What it is. Man, it's cold in here. Hold on. I'm going to turn something on here. I'm cold. Anyway, Montanus. Catholic, the next group is, is um, they spoke as if they were the direct mouthpieces of God. Montanus would say things such as, I am the Father, the Word, and the Paraclete. I am the Lord God Omnipotent who have descended into a man. Even the women would speak as if they were Christ. That's what they would do. The next time we see tongue speaking are the Catholic mystics. Now, you'll remember from our series before that the Roman Catholic mystics, they were people that really started, later they, would, they, they are the founders of the charismatic movement, period. Then you have the New Apostolic Reformation, then you have the Catholic Charismatics who actually started it. Okay? They actually are the ones that started the Charismatic Movement. The next time we see tongue speaking and signs and wonders operating in church history is in the lives of some of the Roman Catholic saints. The vineyard pastor James Ryle in his attempt to find revelation through dreams and visions after the days of the apostles is forced to dig through the strange record of Roman Catholic fathers or saints and mystics. He names false teachers such as Jerome, Thomas Aquinas. Show you who that is. A real heretic. There he is, old Tommy. 
St. Benedict, and even St. Nicholas. Great Scott, Santa Claus? Yep. Vineyard founder John Wimber and the Pentecostal historian Vincent Sinan traces their roots through the same strange waters in his book, Power Evangelism, Signs and Wonders Today. Wimber mentioned the following Catholic saints in a positive light. Pope Gregory the Great, St. Francis, St. Dominic, St. Benedict, and Ignatius of Loyola, who is the founder of the Jesuit order. The founder of the Jesuit order, we'll get to him. Consider the Catholic saints that allegedly spoke in tongues and performed miracles and that are cited by Pentecostals as their forerunners. Thou hast well said, devil. They are your forerunners. Yes, yes, Babylon is your forerunner. Right? Babylon is. Hang on, I'm going to turn this off. I'm going to play this song here, and we're going to get into this. I'll play this song here real quick, and then I'm going to set this heat up a little different here. Hang on a second.
Amen. What a good, what a good song to play there, right? It is such a good. I got something funny I want to play. Uh, while we're on this, anyway, let's get back to what we are talking about here. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, we are talking about the Catholic mystics. We are talking about the history of the counterfeit tongues. Who held to them? Well, they were all heretics. They were all Roman Catholics. They were all bad people. Consider the Catholic saints that allegedly, spo allegedly spoke in tongues that perform miracles that are cited by Pentecostals. These signs and wonders are not akin to what we see in the New Testament, but are occultic and fleshly delusions. Since all false gospels are cursed of God and Rome's gospel of faith plus sacraments is definitely false, miracles done in such context cannot be of God. Paul warned about false gospels in the strongest language. Remember that? But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. So who's one of these guys? Thomas Aquinas is one. We'll get to him. How about St. Benedict? There he is, right there. Old St. Benny. Called the father of the Western monks, was one of the founders of Catholic monasticism. With its unscriptural and unholy doctrine that celibacy is preferred to marriage. According to the Catholic Encyclopedia, Benedict did many miracles, gave prophecies, and even astrally projected his spirit so that he accompanied monks on their journey. Astral projection. This is who's speaking in tongues, right? His first miracle was alleged to have been the healing of an earthenware sieve that his nurse had broken. It is said that on one occasion when some monks tried to poison Benedict, the cup miraculously shattered as he made the sign of the cross over the vessel prior to raising it to his lips. Pope Urban VIII said that Benedict merited while still in this mortal life to see God himself. And in God, all that is below him. All of this is unscriptural nonsense. And anyone that exalts Benedict as an example of the continuation of the true apostolic signs and wonders is spiritually deluded. He was a witch that astral projected. Huh. So now you see the Jesuit. You're going to see the Jesuits a little later on in this. Then you're going to figure out, right? Oh. Yeah, a bunch of witches. By the way, the Jesuits, absolute masters of the Kabbalah. Pope Gregory the Great was the first of the proper popes with him be with him begins the development of the absolute papacy he solidified this unscriptural and blasphemous office 
which claims to be the head of all churches of the world. It was Gregory who established the papal states upon the dying carcass of the old Roman Empire, replacing secular Rome with ecclesiastical Rome and hastening the Christianization of paganism. There he is. Pope Gregory. He held to the the tongues. Blessed John of Parma. It is said that he spoke in tongues. The Catholic Encyclopedia says an angel once served the mass to him. Holy buckets, Batman. If some angel serves a mass to you, run. Run like the devil's chasing you because he is. That was Blessed John of Parma. So you know, he was hanging out one day and all of a sudden an angel served the mass to him. Yeah, that's some crazy stuff right there. And one of my favorites, Francis the Sissy. Right? He's one of my favorites. Francis the Sissy. A big sissy. He was the founder of the Franciscan order. Bunch of mean devils. Nasty people. Nasty like Hillary Clinton people, man. The Franciscans were mean. Murdering. Diabolically evil people. 1219, he went to Egypt in an attempt to convert the Sultan of Al-Kamil and put an end to the conflict of the Fifth Crusade. In 1223, he arranged for the first live nativity scene as part of the annual Christmas celebration in Griseol. According to Christian tradition, in 1224, Francis received the stigmata during the apparition of a seraphic angel in a religious ecstasy. Yep, that dude was tripping. Tripping on devils. He was the founder of the Franciscan Order. Born to the family of wealthy noblemen, Francis allegedly. Francis allegedly heard a voice when he was in the 20s. All right, hang on a second. Okay, absconding with the load. It's a, oh, sorry. Born to a family of wealthy noblemen, Francis allegedly heard a voice when he was in the in his twenties, telling him to repair a ruined church. Absconding with the load of expensive colored drapery from his father's shop, he sold it for gold and tried to give it to the church. After that, he told his father that he was no longer under his jurisdiction since he had devoted himself to God. He dedicated himself to celibacy and married the Lady Poverty. His friars took three vows of obedience, poverty, and chastity and traveled two by two preaching and begging. The Catholic Encyclopedia says Francis saw a vision of the seraph angels, which we talked about. Many stories are told. Oh, he saw the visible wounds of Jesus in his own body. Okay. 
on one occasion, he pleaded with the people of the village to feed a wolf that had ravished their sheep, calling him Brother Wolf. Okay. On another occasion, he preached to his little brethren, the birds. Okay. That's not weird at all. You suppose that guy's preaching to birds for? That's kind of weird. Right? The Franciscans and the Dominicans were appointed by one of Innocent's successors, Pope Innocent. You know he was a devil. Name was Innocent. Boy, what a devil he was. They're all witches, so if they have a name like Pope Innocent, oh, they are nasty. They ain't innocent of nothing. They guilty as all get out. Okay. Pope Gregory IX to head up the Inquisition with papal authority to destroy Bible-believing Christians wherever they were found. They did a good job of it for half a millennium, developing a massive spy network. Where does the CIA come from? The Catholics in action? Romeland security? Right? Where does that come from? The SS, Hitler's SS, copied off the Jesuit order. Yep, all the same. They did a good job of it for half a millennium, developing a massive spy network, all citizens. Right? All citizens from about the age of 14 and older throughout Catholic territories were sworn as spies of the Inquisition and were required to reveal all offenders, capturing and imprisoning and impoverishing and torturing and burning men and women whose only crime was refusing to bow to the Pope's false doctrine. That is Francis the Big Sissy. Okay? Francis the Big Sissy was a murdering devil, and he practiced speaking in tongues. Said he had the gift. Right? Anthony of Padua. Hey, yo, my name is Anthony from Padua. Huh? Hey, that's Anthony of Padua. <laughs> I knew that guy was Italian. How did I know that guy was Italian? Hey, yo, Anthony. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anthony of Padua preached before Pope Gregory the ninth in 1227 and those in attendance from other parts of the world supposedly heard him in their own language. Bernard Bresson from studies in ecstasy, 1966. This alleged event, even if it happened, which is doubtful would have been a miracle of hearing in contrast to the biblical miracle of speaking. Good old St. Anthony. Where's my teeth? St. Anthony. That's Anthony of Padua. 
Hey, how about a pizza, Anthony, huh? St. Dominic is the next one. There he is. Boy, he looks like a devil, don't he? Who thinks that guy? Hey, am I the only guy that thinks that guy looks like a devil? Huh? Eleven seventy to twelve twenty one was the founder of the Dominican Order of Preachers. Man, you want to talk about a bunch, a bunch of mean devils? Right there, the Dominican Order, precursor to the Jesuit Order, mean and nasty people. Was the founder, St. Dominic was the founder of the Dominican Order of Preachers, and this group was at the very cutting edge of brutal inquisition. One of the objectives Dominic, Dominic sent for his order was the extinction of heresy. The unscriptural and blasphemous devotion of the rosary has been attributed to Dominic. The practice of the rosary involves saying prayers to Mary that can be addressed legitimately to Almighty God alone. The Dominicans wreaked havoc upon the Albigenses and the Waldenses and the Anabaptists and the Lollards and anyone else that refused to submit to the Pope. The bloodthirst of the Dominicans earned for them the stigma of Domini Canes or the Lord's Dogs. Find that in the history of the Baptist by Armitage. Right? They called themselves the Lord's dogs. Called. Murdering savages. Oh, they practice tongues, huh? Ah. Makes sense. It was the Dominicans who were at the forefront of the attempt to stop the translation of the Bible into common languages. For example, the Dominicans headquartered at the Black Friars Monastery in London, so named because of the black robes worn by the Dominican friars called, they called a synod, against Bible translator John Wycliffe in England and made every effort to stop Wycliffe's preaching and translation work. Failing in this, countless copies of the Wycliffe scriptures were confiscated and burned, and hundreds of those who read them were likewise burned. Here's your charismatics. That's it. Right? Dogs. Dogs of the Inquisition. The Dominicans and the Franciscans. Nasty people. Murders! But they spoke in tongues, huh? Vincent Ferrer. He looks like a devil, too. Why do they all look like devils? Every single one of them got like a bunch of devils, man. Look at them. 1150 to 1419, allegedly had a vision of Christ in 1388 with St. Dominic and St. Francis. 
and was commissioned to preach penance, not repentance, penance. Thereafter, he traveled and preached the Roman Catholic sacramental gospel. His biographers claimed he was endowed with the gift of tongues. He persecuted and tortured Jews to force their conversion to Catholicism. Right? Who they are. Bunch of murders. St. Catherine of Siena. Right? Oh, she looks great. This is one you want to write home and tell mom about. This is one you want to bring home to mom. Hey, Bob, look. Look at Catherine. Look what's on her head. You think I should marry her? 1347 to 1380. Yep, she's a witch. Okay, so when you see the word mystic, think witch. Think witch. Okay, so when you see Catholic mystic, think Catholic witch. That's how that works. You see how that works? Catholic witch. That's how that works. Then you won't be confused, right? Okay, so St. Catherine of Siena started having mystical experiences when she was only six, seeing guardian angels as clearly as the people they protected. Ah. So, let's see. This this just it reminds me of this here. Since Brother Jimmy is no longer with us, is there anybody else who has the gift of interpreting the tongues in which we're all going to speak today? Anybody? Oh, goodness, that was frightening. Oh, hello. Who might you be? Why, we're the members of Wickersham Apostolic Church, and you are? Isn't it obvious, Preacher Jeff? He's a golden angel from heaven. Oh, I'm afraid that's not quite true. My name is C-3PO. I am a service droid from another galaxy, programmed to interact with and assist various organic life forms such as yourselves. Assist us? Yes, that's right. Is there anything with which you need assistance? Well, yes, actually. We're trying to get an old-timey revival going where a number of us are going to speak in tongues, but our translator called in sick with an unexpected case of Lutheranism. Is there any chance the Holy Spirit has bestowed upon you the supernatural gift of interpretation? I'm afraid that I possess no divinely given abilities. However, I was programmed to be fluent in over six million forms of communication, including all the languages of your planet, so I believe I could be of service as a translator. Hey, you guys hear that? That's great! Yeah, really? 
really great. Well, let's get this thing going. All right. Anybody feel in the spirit? Anybody have a word from the Lord you just gotta share with us? I'm feeling it. Shlaba have a tween bing doogie alba bingo. Okay, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry. That gets me almost every time. <laughs> this guy is absolutely genius. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. Oh, okay. Just gotta share with us. I'm feeling it. Shlaba have a tween bing doogie alba bingo. Okay, Brother 3PO, what did Sister Jane say? Um, nothing. What? Yeah, what are you talking about? I said a bunch of stuff. Well, you did make sounds, but I'm afraid those sounds were just randomly assembled bits of gibberish and don't belong to any actual language. Really? You sure that wasn't Russian or something? Quite certain, I'm afraid. Well, I'm really feeling the spirit. Let me try something. That felt like Hebrew. That was Hebrew, right? No, just Middle Eastern sounding gibberish. French sounding gibberish. Rubio, Mavia, Pasta Primavera. That was half gibberish, half just listing menu items from an Italian restaurant. Yo tengo tres bigotes in mis piscinas. Hey, that was Spanish, right? Yes. You just said, I have three mustaches in my swimming pools. Did the Holy Spirit directly reveal to you that you have three mustaches in your swimming pools, or did you just subconsciously shout out the only words you remember from Senorita Van Meter's fifth period Spanish class your freshman year of high school? Seventh period, actually. Look, my new friends, as much as you all want to believe it, I'm afraid it's clear that the Holy Spirit isn't actually causing you to speak in legitimate foreign languages as he did to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Well, the Lord is obviously speaking through us somehow. In fact, I believe we're speaking in some kind of supernatural prayer language, like how St. Paul talks about speaking in the tongue of angels. You speak angel? Well, no, but... Well, then, rest assured, my Pentecostal friends, that must be what's going on. I do hate to be rude, sir, but when St. Paul references the tongue of angels in 1 Corinthians 14, he's not saying that the Holy Spirit actually grants certain men the ability to speak the official language of heaven. Rather, he's making a rhetorical point. To people who think that speaking in tongues makes them better Christians, he's saying, even if I speak in the most super-duper heavenly of tongues, if I think I'm holier than other people, I'm actually proving my to be a spiritually infantile, self-righteous sinner. Well, all right, So, but... in the end, the Bible only actually describes God giving men one kind of miraculous tongue-speaking, that of speaking in actual languages, which we've just established that you're not doing, and which we'll establish in a future video no one is actually doing today. And if I may be so bold, inventing a new way that God is speaking through you after it's just been shown that God wasn't actually speaking through you the way you first claimed he was is not substantially different from when the Jehovah's Witness kept changing the meaning of their end-of-the-world predictions after they failed to come true. In other words, it's an unsuccessful attempt to cover up your blatant false prophecy. Oh, yeah? Well, how about this? Hey, that sounded like something. That was Latin. Well, all right, it looks like you were wrong, metal man. Backwards, Latin. What? You just said Satan is my homeboy in Latin. Backwards. Which I think means you have a demon. I do not have a demon. You probably have a demon. I do not have a demon. Pretty sure you have a demon. We do not have a demon. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure you got a demon there, Daryl. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure you got a demon there, Daryl. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you got a demon there, Daryl.
Oh. Okay, back to Catherine of Siena. <laughs> okay. Uh <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, during the summer of 1370, she, uh, Catherine of Siena received a series of special manifestations of divine mysteries which culminated in a prolonged trance, a kind of mystical death in which she had a vision of hell, purgatory, and heaven. This is from the Catholic Encyclopedia, 1908. She used to levitate herself off the floor several times a day and speak in unknown tongues. I think you have a demon. Not have a demon. I'm pretty sure you had a demon. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Catherine had a demon. She levitated herself off the floor several times a day and spoke in unknown tongues. It is actually said that when she wanted an early breakfast, the angel used to come and cook it for her. Look. If angels come down from heaven and start cooking for you, run! They're not angels. They are fallen ones. Okay. And here we have that damnable, wicked, dog, devil of them all, Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuit order. Okay? Ignatius Loyola. Now, that Catherine of Siena is levitating. That's what the same thing, Ignatius Loyola. Are you starting to see a pattern here? These people... That are devil possessed. That hate God and hate strong biblical doctrine. Are deceivers. Ignatius Loyola, the co-founder of the Jesuit order. The Society of Jesus. Was established on September 27th, 1540 by Pope Paul III. With the papal bull Regimini Milantius. Militantis. Militant. Order. Okay. Ignatius Loyola looks Anton LaVey look uh, makes Anton LaVey look like um Like child, like a kid. Anton LaVey couldn't scrub the shoes of Ignatius Loyola. That's how much of a witch Ignatius was. Okay. He was a major part of the Counter-Reformation. Jesuits took a vow of complete submission to the Pope and to the superiors of their order. Let everyone persuade himself, they said, that he who lives under obedience should be moved and directed under divine providence by his superior, just as if he were a corpse, which allows itself to be moved and led in any direction. 
The Jesuits plotted and often succeeded in the violent overthrow of governments and the assassination of kings. They preached a gospel that adds the necessity of works and sacraments to the grace and blood of Christ. Loyola is buried in Jesu, Jesu Church, the headquarters of the Jesuits in Rome. And there is a massive monument to him on one side of the church. On the lower side of the monument is the marble statue, the triumph of the faith over heresy by Pietro Le Gros. It depicts Mary violently casting Luther and John Huss out of heaven. Their names are engraved in the statue. We saw that there, Luther being thrown out of heaven. A little winged angel off to the side is gleefully tearing pages from a book, which another book waiting its turn for destruction. The books could be the writings of the reformers, but they are most likely the Bible. Francis Xavier was another founder of the Jesuit order. Xavier worked in India and Japan. Butler's Lives of the Saints alleges that Xavier miraculously spoke in Indonesia and Tamil languages, but if he did, it was a gift of the devil since he was preaching a false gospel and was devoted to Mary. That's that. Those are the founders of the Jesuit order, Ignatius Loyola and Xavier. Murderous, torturer, military order of the Catholic Church. The most powerful military order of the Catholic Church. Who work for the Black Pope. And whose design the counter-reformation, the destruction of the scriptures, the destruction of, of Protestants everywhere. That's Ignatius Loyola. That's Francis Xavier. They held to speaking in tongues. They're mystics. These are all mystics. That's who they are. Roman Catholic. False doctrine. The Rese of Avila. Active during the Counter-Reformation, Teresa became the central figure of a movement of spiritual and monastic renewal, reforming the Carmelite orders of both women and men. The movement was later joined by the younger Carmelite friar and mystic John of the Cross, with whom she established the dis Discalced Carmelites, a formal papal decree adopting the split from the order. Old order was issued in 1580. It's a prominent... Uh, the interior castle and the way of perfection are prominent works on Christian mysticism and Christian meditation practice. In her autobiography, written as a defense of her ecstatic, mystical experiences, she discerns four stages in the ascent of the soul to God. 
mental prayer and meditation, the prayer of quiet absorption in God, ecstatic consciousness, the interior castle written as a spiritual guide for her Carmelite sisters uses the illustration of seven mansions within the castle of our soul to describe the different states our soul can be in during our life. Witches! That's right, Jacob. Vatican II it was uh, uh, part of the charismatic movement. It was the it was the door to that charismatic opening, which the the Catholic charismatics were around a little bit before then. But yes, Teresa of Avila experienced visions and heard voices, which caused her great anguish until Saint Peter of Al. Pantara became her spiritual advisor in 1557 and convinced her that they were authentic. She also used to levitate and make serious noises down in her throat. You think you have a demon, which means, yeah, you probably have a demon. Again, what's with these mystics? What's with these mystics speaking in tongues and levitating? What's up with that? Born-again Bible believers don't walk around and just, like, levitate. Like, hey, I think I'll levitate today. Oh, woohoo. She used to levitate and make mysterious noises down in her throat. They did not call them tongues in her day. It was simply regarded as a manifestation of some kind of spiritual possession, possibly by an angel. Written by Pharaoh, the charismatic phenomenon in the Church of Rome. They were possessed. By the way, it is said historically. It's not said in the Bible, so I'm not saying it's Bible. That Simon the sorcerer, after the stuff happened with Peter, that he levitated across the top of the temple. Right? These are the people that spoke in tongues. How about this guy? Man, don't he look like a straight-up stinking devil? Right? Alphonsus Ligori, sometimes called Alphonsus Maria de Ligori, was an Italian Catholic bishop, spiritual writer, composer, musician, artist, scholastic philosopher. He founded the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer, known as the Redemptorists. Okay. He experienced visions, ecstasies, made prophecies that were later fulfilled, and reportedly performed miracles. This is from the Pocket Dictionary of the Saints. Ligori's book, The Glories of Mary, exalts Mary even above Jesus Christ. Here is a sample of his book. Here's what he said in his book. I am the queen of heaven and the mother of mercy. I am the joy of the just and the door through which sinners are brought to God. There is no sinner on earth so accursed as to be deprived of my mercy. End quote. That's him. Every one of their pictures looks like they're they're 
They're possessed. Listen to what happened at his death. Alphonus was deaf, blind, and laden with so many infirmities that he has no longer even the appearance of a man. And his resignation was accepted by the recently crowned Pope Pius VI. He continued to live with the Redemptorist community in Paginia, Pagini, Italy, where he died on August 1st, 1787. Holy buckets. Deaf, blind, and laden with infirmities. He no longer looked like a man, they said. It is obvious that none of these Catholic mystics were controlled by the Holy Spirit. Who is the spirit of truth. For each was committed to Rome's false sacramental gospel and followed all sorts of other heresies, including the veneration of Rome's heretical Mary. Don't you see? It's all witchcraft. They're mocking and mimicking the miracles that the apostles did. When we come to the 18th and the 19th centuries, there are four prominent examples of alleged Pentecostal-type phenomena. Number one, the Cemetery of St. Medard. In 1731, Roman Catholics in Paris flocked to the Cemetery of St. Medard to the tomb of Jansiant Francos de Paris. Type that in. Here it is. They flocked here. The Jansen, the Jansenists were a Catholic sect. Okay. So they flocked there and they were called the Jansenists. There we go. Boy, don't he look like a devil. Others were supposedly healed, accompanied by convulsions. Some felt, fell like epileptics. Others swallowed pebbles, glass, and even live coals. Women supposedly walked in the air. One described the scene as groaning, singing, shrieking, whistling, declaiming, prophesying, caterwauling. The Abbey of Becca Road hopped about on one leg, proclaiming that his other leg, which was 14 inches shorter, was growing, though it never appeared to be any longer. An eyewitness claimed that he had heard one of the women talking in an unknown tongue and understanding any language that was spoken to her. You get it?
Witches, mystics. Okay, the next group. Let's see. Try the Camazards. They were Huguenots, French Protestants of the rugged, isolated area there. Okay. The seven old prophets were Huguenots or French Protestants in the early 1700s who reportedly spoke in tongues. They claimed to speak by direct inspiration of God from a trance state. Those, and I quote, those so moved struck themselves with the hand. They fell on their backs. They shut their eyes. They heaved with the breast. They remained a while in trances and coming out of them with twitchings, they uttered all that came into their mouths. They bruise. In 1692, cited by Michael Hamilton, the charismatic movement. De, de Bruce, history du fantasy, de noter temps. Okay. When they came out of the trance, they had no memory of what they had spoken. Their experiences were accompanied by feignings and swoonings, at which time they seemed to be insensible to pain, and others were unable to stop them from their strange preaching. Even babies allegedly prophesied. Another feature of this movement was the sudden ability of infants who could not yet speak to deliver discourses in perfect, fluent French. Holy buckets, I'd be running. In 1701, for example, a child about 14 months old in a loud, childish voice began exhorting to the works of repentance. John Lacey, A Cry from the Desert, London, 1708, cited by Hamilton. This is what they were doing there. Try to pay attention. Stay focused. We're not talking about Mozart. Then we come to the Irvingites. Edward Irving was the pastor of Regent Square Scottish Presbyterian Church. Scotland! Great Scott! Not Scotland! Good thing Ross isn't here. If Ross was here, it'd be terrible.
Edward Irving was the pastor of Regent Square Scottish Presbyterian Church in London, England, which was affiliated with the Church of Scotland. In 1830, there was a small outbreak of charismatic phenomena in Scotland. Mary Margaret MacDonald. Mary, not Mary Margaret. Mary Margaret. Mary Margaret MacDonald had visions that Christ was soon coming. Her brothers James and George began speaking in tongues. They claimed that the Lord was coming soon and that the end of the age would witness the restoration of all the gifts of the Spirit. Irving supported this movement and began teaching in his London church that the members should seek the Holy Spirit and expect signs following such as tongues and prophecies. When some women started speaking in tongues, Irving made a rule that there could only be tongue speaking during one of the weekly meetings, but not during the Sunday morning service. Soon two women claimed that they could not hold their tongues and ran out of the building. Mary Campbell spoke out in tongues in spite of the pastor's rule. After that, Irving allowed tongues and interpretations in all his servants, in all his services. What? What happened? What happened? He gave in. He gave he gave in, man. What happened? He said no, you couldn't do it. Then he did. What happened? Lamar, are you the head of your wife? I like to think that we're equal. Are you the head? The head. I am. I am a. I, I, no, no, no. I'm an alpha. Uh, uh not if you think yeah. you and your wife are equal. Beta. Oh, because I tell you why. Beta. Lamar, are you the head of your wife? I like to think that we're equal. Are you the head? Beta. I am. I am a. I, I, no, no, no. I'm an alpha. Uh, uh, not if you think yeah. you and your wife are equal. Beta. Oh, because I tell you why. Beta. Beta. What happened to that beta? Huh? Okay. After that, Irving allowed tongues and interpretations in all the services. Church historian Philip Schaff gave the following description of Irvingite tongues. He said this. Several years ago, I witnessed this phenomenon in an Irvingite congregation in New York. The words were broken, ejaculatory, and unintelligible but uttered in abnormal, startling, impressive sounds in a state of apparent unconsciousness and rapture and without any control over the tongue, which was seized, as it were, by a foreign power. A friend and colleague, Dr. Briggs, who witnessed it in 1879 in the principal Irvingite Church at London, received the same impression. The Pentecostal and the Corinthian Glossalia recorded in summary form within the proceedings of the first meeting of the society. Benaiah, the Apostle Crossroads, little notice. Anyway, so Irving was dis disciplined out of the church in Regent Square in April of 1832, and he and about half of the former congregation founded the Catholic Apostolic Church. He attempted to restore all the gifts of the Spirit as well as the five-fold ministry. Five-fold ministry! Five-fold ministry! Same thing that uh, Catherine Crick. Five-fold ministry. Five pole Pentecostal. Apostles, 
prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. In November of that year, he ordained 12 apostles. Irving falsely prophesied that the Jews would return to the land of Palestine and the millennium would begin in 1867. He taught that Jesus had a sin nature, though he also believed that Jesus did not actually commit sin. Irving believed in divine healing and rejected all medical help, but three of his four children died young, and at least one of them could have been helped with the medicine of the day. In 1884, Irving returned to Scotland. It, it was prophesied that he would be a great prophet and convert the masses, but he died that year at age 42 of consumption. His failure to accept medical care probably resulted in his premature death. The Irvingite deno denomination still exists and claimed 8 million members in 1994. Let's see how far I'm going to get here. Oh boy, you know what? We are not going to get through all of this because we are going to lead up to. There's going to have to be a part two to this because I'm going to give you the history of this movement. I am going to get it out. Um, oh, John Dowie and the Zion City. I am going to get all of this out. Oh boy, you're going to hear all this history. I hope you're okay with that. I really do. Um. This will be the ancient history, and then we're going to do, you know, we're going to get in, but we'll do the second part of this. Um, but I'm, I'm going to keep going here for a few minutes, and then we're going to, then we'll do the second part of it, and we'll get the history, okay? Uh, we'll get that history. Um, I mean, we'll continue on with it. We're going to go all the way up to the modern-day Pentecostal movement. We're going to get that history in there so you understand, like, where this heresy came from. The next group is the Shakers. The Shakers came out of the British Quaker movement in about 1746. At first, they were called the Shaking Quakers. Their name came from their shaking, whirling, and other vigorous actions whereby they attempted to rid themselves of evil. Shakers. Okay. These are the Shakers and the Quakers. Not like shake and bake, I help type stuff, but shaker. Shakers. Or the faker shakers. Okay. So here we go. The shakers came out of the British Quaker movement. The first leader was James Worldly. Hey, what a fitting name. <laughs> Not worldly like W-O, but W-A. But hey, anyway. Worldly who taught that the members could commune with the dead. Now, that's a problem. Look, if some preacher tells you that you can commune with the dead, stop talking to him and run. Don't stick around. Run. Okay. One of the Shakers was a woman named Anna Lee in 1736 to 1784 who began to be called Mother Anne. 
by the congregation and was accepted as their leader in 1772. Her writings were called Mother's Wisdom. Okay. Mother Anne. Oh, my goodness. Holy, she looks weird, Batman. Holy buckets. Oh, my. Oh, my goodness. That can't be. That can't be. I'm telling you that. Uh, listen, <laughs> listen, if I thought, uh, if, <laughs> listen, now I'm, I'll, all right, listen, if I, if that lady told me that she was, <laughs> that's, that's not real, somebody's. Somebody's messing with me. <laughs> I can't. Uh, that, if that lady told me she was a prophet of God, I'd be like, I'm out of here, man. I am so out of here. <laughs> if she told me that, I'd be like, I am so <laughs> I am so out of here. <laughs> I'd be like, look, I am out of here, man. <laughs> She's like, I'm a prophet. I am Mother Anne. I am Mother Anne. And I wrote a book called Mother's Wisdom. I'd be like, no, you didn't. I am so out of here. I am not staying here. There ain't no way in the world I'm staying here. <laughs> I am not staying here with you. I am God. Okay, I got to stop, all right? Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, here we go. All right. Um. Okay, stop it. I'm trying, all right? She claimed by revelation that she was the female aspect of God's nature. God doesn't have a female aspect. See that stuff right there? That's that Shekinah stuff. That's that goddess stuff. That's the sacred feminine stuff. Okay? That's what that is. This is how I know Greg Locke is, look what he's got. What happened to Greg Locke? He's following a woman. Same thing happened with the SDA. I think you got to limp your wrist when you join the SDA as a man. The Seventh-day Adventists. They just get limp-wristed and their voice goes up a few notches and they lose some of the puberty that they went through. Because they start talking like fruit booties. She claimed by revelation that she was the female aspect of God's nature and that she was the second coming of Christ and the Holy Spirit. 
She claimed that God is not a trinity, but is a duality. Male and female. Oh my goodness, you're a witch. Plain and simple, a witch. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a witch. That's a witch. She taught that marriage is not as spiritual as celibacy. And when married couples joined the group, they were required to live celibately. That sounds familiar. I met a lady that was stuck in a cult for a while. They didn't like marriage. That's the first, one of the first signs that you're being seduced by devils. Want me to show you? I'll show you. Here it is. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Stop! Hold the phone! Hold the phone! Here's where the creepy witch tells you that she's getting visions from God. The spirit is talking to her. And the Bible says, hey, guess what? I'm not talking to her. This is how you know the Holy Ghost ain't speaking to her. Right here. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Semicolon, well, what are those? Here they are, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. I mean, how come nobody figured out this was a witch talking to them? She's got a word from the Lord. She's got a word from the Lord. So I got to listen to her. No, I got to listen to that book. I got to read what that book says. That King James Bible says. That's what I got to listen to. Not some woman flapping her jaws telling me what God's saying to me. If I want to know what God's saying to me, I open up the book. She taught that the millennium began in 1747. She claimed she could speak in 72 languages supernaturally. Right. The early shakers would sing in tongues while dancing. They even published hymns composed of unintelligible and unheard of words. In 1774, the small band of Shakers traveled from England to America and settled near Albany, New York. The movement reached its peak in the mid-1800s with some 6,000 members in 19 communities. In January of 2017, there were only two Shakers left at the Shaker Village in New Gloucester, Maine. These are the strange roots of Pentecostalism. For 1,900 years, the apostolic sign gifts ceased to function. 
except for the unscriptural limitations, imitations we've seen in this section. All the ones that we explain. We're going to stop there because we're going to pick it up into next week, Monday. We're going to pick up, Lord willing, the movements that preceded the advent of Pentecostalism. We're going to show you the history of those. We're going to continue on with that history. You better stick to the book, friend. From over hill and plain, there comes a single strain. Tis loyalty, loyalty, loyalty to Christ. Its music rolls along, the hills take up the song of loyalty, loyalty, yes, loyalty to Christ. On to victory, on to victory, cries our great commander. Loyalty to Christ. Come join our loyal throng, we'll rub the giant wrong. Tis loyalty, loyalty, loyalty to Christ. Where Satan's banners float, we'll send the bugle note of loyalty, loyalty, yes, loyalty to Christ. On to victory, on to victory, cries our great commander. the land through loyalty loyalty yes loyalty to christ the strength of youth we lay at jesus feet today tis loyalty 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 to christ this gospel will proclaim throughout the world's domain of loyalty loyalty yes loyalty to christ i may never march in the infantry ride in the cavalry shoot the artillery i may Amen and amen. All right, everybody. I got fired up. I get fired up over this subject. I hate that charismatic movement. Passion. I hate it. God taught me to hate it more and more when I see the fruit of it and what it does and how fake it is and how it's designed to really um, distract people from the truth. It's not real Bible. It's not real Christian living. It's a fake imitation and it's dangerous. And uh, I'm going to continue to give you the history of that by the grace of God here next week. And then we'll actually get into the why. This will be a whole series. It'll probably be 20 broadcasts long. We might break it up and split it up for a while. If you get too bored with it, you might get tired of it. But uh, anyway, uh, we'll, um, we'll, we'll go through it and, and take a look at it. All right, everybody, pray for us tomorrow. 
preaching live tomorrow, uh, 6 p.m. Central Time, around then, outside of the Halloween parade in the Halloween capital of the world, Anoka. Pray for us. We'll be broadcasting live. You will see it live right there, okay? 6 p.m. Central, okay? And uh, also uh, pray for our ministry. So pray for us. Uh, Secondly, if you'd like to give to our ministry, please do. You can always use it. We appreciate it. Um, And uh, if you want to, you can go to oldpazbaptistchurch.org right here. Here it is. You can click on uh, PayPal, Venmo, or Apple Pay. If you want to do PayPal, you can also go to your PayPal and and send it to salvationpreacher at gmail.com. You can go to Venmo, you can go to Apple Pay, okay? Any of those. Uh, Or you can go to our sermonaudio.com page, okay? Uh, You can scroll down to the bottom of the page. And down at the bottom of the page, right on the bottom of the page here, and you can mail something to 1030 South Highway 3, Northfield, Minnesota, 55057. Then also, some people do cryptocurrency. They do Coinbase, all kinds of stuff like that. Okay. So, um, by the way, uh, you could do that for sure. And uh, so thank you anyway. And if you can't give anything, pray that the Lord would speak to somebody else's heart that can. Amen. Because there are people that might be in a better position than you. And then, by the way, I didn't do this for that, but thank you, Brother Carl, Mary, for the gifts that you gave our family. And uh, Andrea as well, uh, the gifts you sent for our little one. We are very thankful. For and uh, your family, uh, thank you for that. And, and Carl and Mary, thank you for the gifts that you sent. And also, um, I'm looking forward to that cost of coffee and that picture. I'll show you guys the picture uh, next week uh, broadcast, but the picture that they had framed of me in the in the uh, Waldensian cave, I'm really grateful for that. And I look forward to seeing Brother Carl and Mary again, Lord willing, in Canada. By the way, uh, we are making arrangements. We're working on that. I got to get passports. We're going to go to Canada. Lots of stuff we're going to do, by the way, in Canada. Baptist history. I want to preach to the Jews over there, the Jewish community. Preach on the streets. I'm going to be preaching in Pastor Jeffrey's church. I'm also going to take my family on vacation through Canada and see some things also as well because we need, we'll need a break by then for sure. We always do that. But I want to add, I want to combine that into ministry, some ministering over there too. Okay? So lots of stuff. And uh, children all love the things, the gifts that they were given and everything else like that. We're very grateful. So much. For those that uh, pray for us and those that give to our ministry and uh, those that pray and that are that listen and God we're blessing to you okay all right everybody I'm gonna take off God bless you all we will see you uh on tomorrow night Lord willing and um, we'll see you then and, and we will look forward to to preaching live 6 p.m. 
live, 6 p.m. Central tomorrow night, somewhere around then, preaching outside of the... God bless you, everybody.